It's good to be in God's house this morning, amen. It's especially good to have our sister Glenda visiting with us, amen. All the way from Melbourne, amen. It's a long way away. And uh, I told her, welcome home, amen. Certainly love having sister Glenda here. We've still got your flag on the wall. So it's going to stay there. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue on with life class this morning. And continue on with the series that we started last week. Last week we started out talking about a living sacrifice. This is the series that we're in right now. Is that this idea that our lives are to be a living sacrifice. Amen. And last week we started by talking about how Jesus is our Passover lamb. Amen. And we talked in how Corinthians, Paul uses that. He says that Christ was our Passover lamb sacrificed for us. And we talked about how the children of Israel in the very first Passover had to sacrifice a lamb. Amen. And then they had to put the blood on the posts and across the top of the houses that they were in. And that was the difference between their house and all the other houses that were around them was the fact that their house was covered by the blood. Their house had blood on the doors, and that was the only thing that stopped the destroyer from coming in and that firstborn being killed. Amen. So too it is in our life that blood delivers us from sin. Amen. Not the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews tells us, that is insufficient. For the sin, amen. All that does in the Old Testament was it would just push those sins on one year by one year by one year, and every year they would have to do it again, amen. But how Jesus, as the Bible calls him, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the perfect Lamb, his blood was sufficient to cover all of our sins, amen. Amen. And so we are very thankful for the blood, amen. And we talked about how, like the Hebrew children, they had a role to play in their salvation. Amen. They had to go out there and they had to put the blood on the doorpost. It was an instruction from God. And they had to be obedient to what God had told them to do. If they had just said, no, I don't think we need to do that. And you know, remember, there probably, we don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but there might have been some Israelite children who turned around and said, you know what, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put blood on my doorposts. It's just weird. But then the destroyer would have come in. Amen. And we talked about how we appropriate the blood of Christ for our life. Amen. And we do that when we are obedient to God's word. When we repent of our sins, when we're baptized. Amen. We become part of the body of Christ. And so we're going to continue on this morning. And if you've got your Bibles... Grab them for me. We're going to go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we're going to read verse 13. It's good to see everyone else that's here as well. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. There's no other place we would rather be. John chapter 15, verse 13, again, quite a familiar passage, one that I'm sure we've read before. Say amen when you're there. It's the words of Jesus. He says this, John 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Amen. I want you 
this morning to try and picture the scene from John's mind. John recorded these words of Jesus, and the, the Bible tells us that John and Jesus had a special bond. John was the disciple that Jesus loved greatly. I want you to imagine John as he watched Jesus stumbling along the road on his way to Calvary. By this stage in the narrative, all the other disciples have fled, but John is there because there's something in John's heart that loves Jesus. I want you to try and imagine the emotion that he is feeling as he watches Jesus. Seeing all the other disciples have left, he sees Jesus' mother there. I imagine that John would have felt distraught watching. Shut up, Siri. I imagine John was distraught as he watched Jesus stumble down that road to the cries of the women and the shouts of the soldiers. The Bible calls John the son of thunder. He had something in him that was just, you know, and, and, and I imagine that there was something inside of John that wanted to rush those Roman soldiers and try and save his friend Jesus from their grips. And yet there was another part of John that knew that such an action would be hopeless. The only thing that would probably end up happening was that he would end up on a cross himself. John held on to Mary as he listened to that thud as the hammer drove those nails into Jesus' hands and feet. He watched as Jesus was hoisted up on that cross, heaved into position, and then let to fall into a hole. And there he was, Jesus, the King of the Jews, crucified for all the world to see. The emotions that John would have been feeling, he would have been feeling love for Jesus. He would have been feeling hate for everybody else that was around him. He would have been feeling anguish. He would have been feeling fear. He would have been feeling fury. All these emotions would have been storming in his heart. But then I believe that all of those emotions would have been replaced by one emotion. Shock. When Jesus utters the words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Shock would have come into Jesus' heart as he thought, how could Jesus forgive these people? The horror that they are inflicting on him, and yet Jesus has the audacity to forgive them. In that moment for John, Christ's all-encompassing love came into focus because he realized that Jesus was dying for everybody on that hill. Not just John. Not just Mary. Not just the religious leaders who cursed and abused him. Not just the Roman soldiers who were executing him. Not just the Roman governor who sentenced him to die. He was dying for everybody on that hill. For everybody who had ever loved him and ever will love him. And for everybody who hated him and will always hate him. Jesus died for the whole world. That we could be set free from sin. This is why there is no greater sacrifice 
than what Jesus did on the cross for us because there is no greater love. The story of the crucifixion of Jesus is a paradox because in this story we see overwhelming hate and overwhelming violence and it is existing alongside overwhelming love. Members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious council, they hated his teaching. They slapped him, they beat him, they spit on his face. The Roman soldiers mocked him. They slapped him. They scourged him to within an inch of his life before they nailed him to the cross. People watching the crucifixion blasphemed him and they mocked him while, they hung, while he hung on the cross. Even one of the two thieves that was in the exact same situation still railed on Jesus, the Bible tells us. He mocked Jesus. But throughout all of that, the Bible tells us that Jesus did not return hate for hate. Instead, Jesus loved. Through his great trial of suffering, love guided all of Jesus' actions. He prayed that God would not hold this sin of crucifying him against the soldiers. When one of the thieves had a change of heart towards Jesus, Jesus freely gave him a place in paradise. Even in the middle of his agony, he still had the lucidity, the clearness of mind to be able to look at his mother there, brokenhearted, and John just as distraught, and said, John, look after my mom for me. Love guided everything that Jesus did until he breathed his last, until his body laid still. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved. Nothing forced Jesus to that cross. He went willingly because of love. Jesus said in John 10 verse 18 that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of mine own accord. Nobody had the power or the authority to take the life of Jesus unless he was willing to lay it down. And he said, we read it in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. See, these were not just words to Jesus. These were the things that guided his life. These were not just nice platitudes and empty words to generate some followers, but this was exactly how Jesus lived his life when he said, greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. He was talking about himself. He knew that he was going to fulfill those words. He was going to demonstrate those words for his followers. The entire drama of the cross is summed up in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There really could be no greater example of love for humanity, no greater example of love for us.
And the gospel is the good news of God's love that is given to us in Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message of love from the first to the very last. And not just a generic kind of love for all of humanity, but it is a specific love that led Jesus to sacrifice himself on the cross. Not just for no purpose, but to free you and to free me from the power of sin. From both its penalty and from its enslaving control. That you and I could be free from sin, both now and for eternity. How does Jesus Christ set us free from the penalty of sin? You see, before salvation, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 that we are all under sin. Before salvation, we were all under sin. And therefore, we are guilty before God. Romans 3.19 tells us that. Before salvation, we're all guilty. We're all sinful. We're all in need of a Savior. There's no one that's better than anybody else in this entire planet. God sees us on one level before salvation. The problem with our guilt is that our guilt brings God's wrath. And it brings, the Bible tells us, a death sentence against us. For the wages of sin is death. And so the burning question, the essential question that everybody has to ask themselves then is, how can I be saved from this wrath and from this death? There's only one way, and that is to become sinless or righteous in God's sight. Because where there is righteousness, there is no wrath. And where there is sinlessness, there is no sentence of death. But herein lies the problem. Because we cannot be righteous and we cannot be sinless, at least not on our own. You know, I think sometimes we we tend to think that you know, we we go through this mindset where we say, well, you know, I want to be righteous. I want to live a good life and so I want to start pleasing God. And we're going to start obeying His Word. And we're going to start doing good deeds. And in doing so, we're going to become righteous. It's almost like we think that God has some sort of cosmic scale in the heavens. And there's our sin and His wrath and judgment and death on one side. And, and as we do good things and as we read our Bible and as we pray and as we give our tithes and our offerings, we kind of imagine that this is slowly going down until one day God says, oh, you've done it. Well done. You're righteous now. You see, the problem is, is if we were to take that approach and rely on our obedience and our good deeds to become righteous before God, we would experience exactly what Paul told the Jews in his day. They were relying on their ability to obey God's law to be righteous before Him. But in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul writes, he says, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, 
if we go through life trying in our strength to be obedient to everything in God's word. At the end of the day, all we will prove is how far short we are of living up to God's word. We can never be righteous enough through our own obedience. We can never be pure enough or holy enough just through our obedience. We are never going to get there just in ourselves because all it ever really does as we begin to obey God's word is prove how sinful we really are. Woo! Someone say amen. Someone say this better get positive soon, pastor. <laughs> amen. In other words, if we rely on our obedience to God's law, in the end it will simply confirm that we are indeed sinners guilty before God. Because God's law does not reveal righteousness in our heart, it reveals sinfulness. By revealing how clearly we have failed to obey all that is written. And thereby showing us that we are subject to God's judgment still. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. So there has to be another way to become righteous before God. And praise God there is, amen? Praise God that there is another way that we can be righteous because God in His love has provided a way for us to be righteous before Him, amen? This becoming righteous before Him comes about through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22, amen. Though we have all sinned, the Bible tells us, and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 that we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our faith in Jesus Christ alone, that is our trusting and relying absolutely and only on Christ's redeeming work on the cross to save us, is the basis for our redemption and our justification. What does it mean to be justified? To be justified is to be declared righteous in God's sight because our sins are not forgiven. Our sins are forgiven rather. When we trust in God and His promise of salvation for us, God credits us, if you want to use that word, credits it to us for righteousness. We are sinless before Him. When Paul speaks of justified or justification, it's legal terminology. If you want to, you could almost imagine, as it were, a courtroom. And you and I are the accused. And God is the judge. And as the prosecutor reads out all the things that we have committed, for once in his life, Satan is telling the truth. He's right. We are guilty. And we know that we are guilty. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything that is being said of us is true. And as we hang our head and we are waiting for the judge to deliver the verdict of guilty, which is what we expect, he turns around and he says, not guilty. You're free to go. But we're still sinful. See, this is the thing about the cross. Everything is true, but God still declares us righteous. That's what justification is, amen? We are sinless 
before him. Amen. How is this possible? Did the judge suddenly remember some good work that we had forgotten about? Did he suddenly go, oh, you know what? I remember now. They gave a big offering. So, oops, not guilty. Oh, no, no, no. They, they, they witnessed to 10 people a couple months ago. So, you know what? Not guilty. No, God did not suddenly recall some great work that we had done. You see, you want to know something? The only thing that we have contributed to our salvation is our sin. Something for God to work on. That's the only thing we bring to the situation, amen. God has done the rest in His Son. God who loves us and is full of grace provided redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is, He provided a way for the penalty that we owed to be paid. And He did this by presenting Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of of his blood. Jesus Christ died in our place. He took our place. He paid the debt for us. He did our time for us. See, Romans 3.27 tells us that we can't boast. And because we rely on Christ's sacrifice alone and not on ourselves, boasting is impossible. We've done nothing to earn this. We've done nothing to earn salvation. We've done nothing to earn His sacrifice. We did nothing to warrant Him wanting to go to the cross. And so we can't boast. But all we can do is bow before our loving God and thank Him for His love and for the gift of grace that He has given us Rejoicing because we have been justified by His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. Did you get that? We are saved through wrath, from wrath through Him. Through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 that He forgave all of our sins and has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. Jesus loved us so much that he sacrificed himself to set us free from the penalty of sin. Do you understand this morning why? There is no greater love than what Jesus did for us on the cross. Someone say amen. See, and then the question you've got to ask yourself then, if God, who is our judge, has declared us not guilty because our sins are forgiven, will my sins ever be able to condemn me and make me guilty in God's sight? If he has nailed my debt of sin to the cross, do I ever have to doubt my salvation? See, yeah, you've got to get right with God. You've got to repent of sin that's in your life if you fail and you make mistakes. But you know what? We all fail. We all make mistakes, but we don't have to carry the guilt anymore. We can give it to Jesus and say, well, Lord, I'm repentant of my sins. I'm baptized in your name. I'm living for you. I'm doing everything I can in your life, but I'm not doing it because I want to earn your salvation. I'm doing it because you saved me, because you set me free, because you delivered me. Amen. 
Our freedom from the power of sin begins when we are set free from the penalty of sin. But the story does not end there. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he sacrificed himself not just to set us free from the penalty of sin, but to set us free from the enslaving control that sin has over us. Jesus said in John 8, 34, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, whosoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus is categorizing a life of sinfulness as a life of slavery. Christ's love for his followers allows us to leave from under the lash of sin and provide a way for us to live free from sin. How does Christ save us from sin's enslaving control? Let's turn to John 8. I want to read this. John 8, 31. Say amen when there. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. He's not talking to the Jews who don't believe on him. He's not talking to the Jews who don't want to follow him. He's talking to the Jews who believe on him. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 36, a couple verses down, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? Amen. Abiding in His Word is what will help us to be free. But it's not just stuffing our mind with religious knowledge. It's not just being good at quizzes, amen. It is about living in relationship with the Word that was made flesh, amen. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Abiding in the Word means abiding in a relationship with the Word that was made flesh, abiding in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is embracing His teaching that He alone is the Savior of our lives. You see, there's so many things out the world that promise, promise salvation, promise an easy life, promise that everything's going to be okay. If you could just earn a bit more money, your life would be so much better. If you could just live in a slightly nicer house, your life would be so much better. If you could just drive a slightly better car, your life would be so much better. But as we chase all these things, we're neglecting the fact that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ and only in the work that He has done for us on the cross. And everything we pursue out there is meaningless when compared to to what Jesus did for us. Amen. Remember, we're talking about being a living sacrifice for Jesus. You starting to see where we're going with this? And in that embracing that He alone is able to be our Savior, 
it is also embracing that He alone provides the power to live free from sin through His Spirit. You see, when we make a mistake, and we do, because we're human, we try and think, well, you know what, God, I just got to pray more and I'm not going to fall into that trap. I've just, if I could just, if I could just memorize more scripture, then, then, then you know, I'm going to be okay. But see, we don't do all those things because we're trying to live a sinful life. We do all those things because we want to be in relationship with Jesus. And it's that relationship with His Spirit that will enable us to stand when the temptations come. Amen? You see, just as we could not be freed from the penalty of sin through our own ability, we cannot be freed from the control of sin through our own ability. Freedom comes only through the work of Christ's Spirit in us. So what's that mean for today? That means that our salvation from sin begins in a moment, but continues for a lifetime. See, at the moment that God forgives us, and declares us righteous, though now we are blameless before Him, He does not make us fully or actually righteous immediately. Just think about that for a moment. Go back to the courtroom scene. You know you are guilty of everything that you are being accused of. And the judge turns around and says, not guilty, you're free to go. It does not change the fact you're still sinful. He's declared you righteous, but you're still sinful. And so begins what we call the work of sanctification. God begins to work in your heart to bring you about actually to what He has already declared you to be. You with me so far? Amen? At the moment God forgives us and declares us righteous, we are blameless before Him. But it does not immediately change us. How do we know that? Because we see people come to the altar, they repent of their sins, it's beautiful, it's amazing, they begin living their life for God, but they're still caught up in the things of the world. And there's a period of time as they get closer to God, those things begin to get cut out of their life, and they begin to become more like Jesus, amen? That is an ongoing process. It doesn't happen, now it does happen immediately in some cases. Like I've heard stories of people who are addicted to drugs and cigarettes and cocaine and alcohol and they've come and instantly God's cured them of an addiction it can happen right but often in life when you come to Jesus you're still dealing with the consequences of your lifestyle choices before you met Jesus hello right and so salvation is an ongoing work that happens we are not transformed instantly into perfect people but we are regenerated by the spirit and we are given a new spiritual life at the moment we are justified but that is not the end of the story if it was i'd be better off holding people under the water when i baptize them hello because then they see Jesus much quicker. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. How many times have you been living for God and you think, yeah, I'm so good, I'm righteous, I'm reading my Bible, I'm coming to church, I'm on fire for God, and then you fail Him. Hello? Who's failed God this week? 
Hello? You know what I mean? And so it's this ongoing thing that goes on, amen? It is the beginning of a long process where God makes us in reality what He has already declared us to be, which is righteous, amen? But here's the thing. Those sins does not cease to exert its influence on us at the moment we are saved since power over our life is broken. And that's the important thing. Because before Christ, we had no control. In many cases, we didn't even know that what we were doing was sinful. We're just living our lives, right? But when we come to Jesus, sin's hold over us is broken. Our slavery to sin and its tyranny over us is so thoroughly broken, Paul actually describes it as dying to us. Right? Sin's power over us is so weakened, it's basically dead as far as Paul is concerned. You know, we had died to sin and we were freed from its power when we died, were buried, and were raised with Christ in baptism and through the saving work of His Spirit. Romans chapter 6 verses 2 to 7 teaches us that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 7, He who has died has been freed from sin. Someone say freed. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. See, we were made free from sin... So we can walk with Him free from sin. Amen? Because God is righteous. And if we want to walk with Him, we have to be sinless. But He gives us the power to be sinless. Amen? You see, this is a promise from God. You know, Paul, Paul is not suggesting here that there's a few happy times in our life where we're free from sin. But most of the time, it's just this constant struggle to remain living righteous for God. That's not what Paul says. No, Paul proclaims a victory over sin that is so dramatic and so thorough and so complete that the best words Paul can use to describe it is sin is dead to us. What a victory, amen? What a victory. Paul explained that before we are in Christ, we were carnal, sold under sin. And and, and he puts it like this. He says, the good that we want to do, we don't do it. And the evil that we don't want to do, that we do. And Paul says, I find then in my members this warring that happens. And I can't figure out how to beat it. And what he's saying is, is within my own strength and within my own ability and with all the knowledge I have as an educated member of the ruling class, Paul was educated. He said, I cannot figure out who is going to deliver me, he says, from this body of death. But Then he turns around and says, but thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. But thanks be to God, we can be freed from it by the power of the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 2, Paul declared the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, not only are we free from sin's penalty, let's look at this, Romans chapter 8. Not only are we freed from sin's penalty, we are no longer condemned. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, Here's the caveat. Here's why you've got to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after 
the Spirit, those who are in a relationship with Jesus, those are the ones that have no condemnation. Amen. When we have the fullness of the Spirit in our life, we are freed from sin's control. And by walking in the Spirit, God empowers us to do what we could never do in our own strength. Look at this. Romans 8 verse 4. That the righteousness of the Lord might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The only way we can live up to the righteousness of the Lord is through walking with God's Spirit. Amen? See, we can actually live a life categorized by obeying God's law, something that only Christ's Spirit makes possible. And see, not only did love lead Jesus to the cross, not only did love provide a payment for the penalty that you and I faced, but in His love, Jesus has given us His Spirit. And the law of His Spirit at work in us is greater than the law of sin. This is why a close relationship with Jesus Christ is what enables you to stand against sin. Amen? Amen. You see, it is when you are close to Jesus. It's when you're walking with Him every day. It's when you're spending time in relationship with Him. That's when temptation loses its power over you, amen? But when you're drifting away from Him, when you're not praying like you know you need to pray, and when you're not reading your Word like you know you need to work, what's happening there? You're not ticking a religious box. You're drifting away from your relationship with God. And as you drift further and further away, the power of sin begins to become more apparent in your life. But the closer you get to God, the more sin has to fade away into the distance. Amen. And we don't have that relationship with God because we earned it. We have it because of His cross. We have it because of His blood. And that is how we remain free from sin. Amen. Amen. Every single one of us, we still experience the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But despite the struggle, if we live according to the spirit, verse 5 says, If they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. When we mind the things of the Spirit, when we make them our priority in life, when we pursue them with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, then we can experience such a consistent victory over sin in our life. Sin becomes, like Paul said, dead to our life. And we look back after years of a close relationship with God, we wonder, how in the world did I ever struggle with that? It seems so faint and so silly now. Why? Not because we're good, not because we're super spiritual, not because we're amazing Christians, but because we are staying close to Jesus. Because He is our Savior. Amen. And this such such closeness to Jesus, you know, it's not just some pious exaggeration to say that sin is dead to us, but we can rejoice with Jesus and say, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. As we get ready to wrap up, it seems really appropriate to me
Paul, he wrote so profoundly on the love of Christ. He wrote so profoundly on freedom from sin. But he started off as a self-confessed wretched sinner who persecuted followers of Christ, even to death. Paul hated Jesus. Paul was not just on the fence about Jesus. Paul hated Jesus. He hated everything he stood for, everything he preached, every single one of his followers. He wanted them dead or locked up. But that Paul, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, still breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, was traveling to Damascus. Not because he wanted a holiday, he was going there to arrest disciples of Jesus Christ. But on the way, the Lord knocked him down off of his horse and blinded him by a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. Not in judgment, but in grace and in love. Jesus Christ appeared to him to set him free from sin and to commission him to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 9 and verse 12 tells us that while he was blind, he turned in repentance from his sin and turned to Jesus Christ in faith. He had a vision of a man named Ananias who came to pray for him to regain his sight. Ananias arrived and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight and he arose and he was baptized. In turning to Jesus, Paul was gloriously freed from the power of sin. And in his freedom and in his response to Christ's love, Paul began living a life of sacrificial love for the Lord. This is why he wrote in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul hit the ground, when he was knocked off that horse, he died. That's as far as Paul was concerned. That's the moment Paul died. And when he turned to Jesus, he came back to life. But it was no longer the old man that lives, it was a new man. And Paul's life was completely and utterly turned around to the opposite direction. Brothers and sisters, as we stand this morning, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life has the same power to completely turn your life and my life around. We don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to live our old life. We don't have to stress and fret. We don't have to try and do enough righteous deeds to make God happy. We don't have to try and make sure we're good enough. But we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I just want to be in relationship with you closer and closer and closer. 
Because I know then I can be free from the power of sin. And the closer I can get to Jesus, the further and further and further away the power of sin appears in our life. Amen. Jesus gave Himself for us. And in response to His sacrifice of love, we are to become living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is why Paul, the wretched sinner, the persecutor of Christians, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, He's been merciful to me. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's my reasonable service. We are to live our lives empowered by His Spirit, not for our glory, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but we live our lives for His glory. We live our lives to praise the One who loved us and died to set us free. There is no greater love. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and lift our voice right now. Oh God, I feel your presence here right now, Lord Jesus. Oh, there is no greater love, Lord God. Your sacrifice on Calvary, Lord, was so great and so undeserved. And we still have not done enough to earn it, Lord God. But Jesus, we come to you, O oh Lord, knowing, Lord, that you have made a way, Lord Jesus, through the veil into the holy of holies, Lord God. That is, your word says, through the flesh. Oh, we praise you, Lord, uh, for the power to live a victorious life, uh, for the power to live free from sin, Lord God. Uh, we haven't earned it, Lord, uh, but we thank you for it, Jesus. Uh, we don't deserve it, uh, but we give you praise, Lord God. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, there's no one like you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, this week, understand that you have been set free from the power of sin. Understand that God has given the power of sin into your heart and into your life through His Spirit. You don't have to keep making the same mistakes. All that we are required to do is draw closer to Jesus right now. And say, Lord, I want to be close to you. If you're struggling to overcome sin in your life, the answer is not that Jesus doesn't want to help you. The answer is not that His power is somehow diminished in your life. The answer is, is you've drifted away from Jesus. Come back to Him. Draw closer to Him again. Praise your Lord, precious Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this life class, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, I pray, to draw closer to you. To lean in to what you did for us, Lord God. Not because, Lord, we've earned it. Not because we deserve it. Lord, we'll never do enough to earn it. We'll never do enough to deserve it. 
But Jesus, we rest in you. We draw close to you today. In Jesus' name, praise your Lord.